You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's passage is Mark 4, verses 21 to 34. It's Mark 4, verses 21 to 34. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to EBF, and uh, happy spring break to those joining us uh, on a beach somewhere. I'm a little jealous, but uh, thanks for tuning in, and happy, like I said, happy spring break. Uh, my name is Tim. For those that may not know me, I have the, the privilege of serving here as pastor, and if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to, maybe after the service, out in the, out in the lobby, and uh, I hope that you have been able to track with us over the last uh, few days here with these 40 days of prayer and fasting leading up to Holy Week. And I'm excited about our Holy Week plans that are coming to fruition. Watch uh, for some announcements surrounding that coming out this upcoming week. But uh, we have been in a series in Mark's Gospel called Jesus the Servant King and find ourselves in the middle of the first act in Mark's Gospel, the first act that takes place in and around the region of Galilee. And from Mark 4, 1, all the way through 5, 43, there are four parables that center on the kingdom of God, and then four mighty acts that, that show, that demonstrate the kingdom and, and highlight Jesus' authority. And so actually this morning, what we're going to do, last week we looked at the parable of the soils and discovered that like the sower, God spreads the message of the kingdom among all humankind. And like the three kinds of unfruitful soil, many hear the message of the kingdom, reject it, and bear no fruit. But like the fruitful soil, some hear the message of the kingdom, accept it, and bear abundant fruit. And so today we turn then to the three other kingdom parables in Mark 4 that you just heard read. Thank you, Brad. And these continue to reveal and to emphasize the nature of God's kingdom. Would you pray with me? 
Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, make us hungry for your word. May it nourish us and strengthen us today in the ways of eternal life through the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Sometimes doing the work of God can be filled with frustration, disappointment. Sometimes it can feel like sowing gospel seeds and having very little to show for it. Perhaps you can think, for example, of somebody that you have prayed for for years and years and years for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Or think about somebody like Adoniram Judson. I mentioned him last week, who spent many years on the mission field before seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ, often faced his own disappointment and frustrations. Yet near the end of his time, his work, he said this, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain, Burma being where he served. We sow on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's hill. You can hear in his hopeful words echoes of the parables we encounter here in Mark 4, parables with simple yet profound images that speak into the lives of those who have labored long with relatively little to show for it. And so in our time together this morning, we're going to explore these three kingdom parables and these simple yet profound images that Jesus uses. That of a visible lamp, of scattered seeds, and a mustard seed. First, the parable of the visible lamp. Verses 21 through 25. I'll read it once more. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. I'll just pause there for a moment. In Jesus' day, a lamp like this would have been like a small um, oil-filled, oil-burning lamp made of clay. And the bowl that's referred to here would be like a small container used for storing dry goods. And so the impact of the parable is actually somewhat the absurdity of the image. You would not light a lamp in order to just keep it hidden. No, you use a lamp in order to shine light in the darkness. An invisible light is pointless. Then in verse 22, these two parallel sayings emphasize that hidden things are to be revealed by the light. And then if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear this repeating of the refrain from earlier in verse 9. The New English translation captures the thrust of that well when it says, if anyone has ears to hear, they had better listen. It stresses the the force. It is an imperative, not just permissive here. Let them hear, had better listen. It, it, It underscores, as we saw last week, it underscores genuine listening. The second half of the parable then focuses on how one responds to the light. Consider carefully, actually, let me, yeah, there we go. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, verse 24. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The emphasis on verse 24 here falls not just on hearing alone, but on on how we hear. And the measure that is used with this phrase, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, may have very well been a common proverb in the day that, that Jesus taps into. And actually connects, dovetails well with this whole notion of a bowl in verse 21. You know, most of the things that we buy today are in pre-packaged amounts. My son, Sam, who's three, got to accompany mom to Trader Joe's the other day, and they brought back the kids' carts. Yay! And so he's going around like a little man. Everyone's kind of watching him, and she turned, and all of a sudden, he's like heaping individually wrapped cucumbers into the, into the cart. And everyone's passing by just like, look at this little guy. You know, it's like... Thankfully, they saw his mom there. He's not just out there shopping by himself. But, you know, often the things that we buy are in pre, these prepackaged amounts, like even these individually wrapped cucumbers. But in the first century, merchants would actually measure out, using vessels or bowls, they would measure out goods or grain even in the marketplace. Some could be more generous in the ways that they measure that out and some more stingy more generous like our kids hope we are when, it's, when it comes to snack time. My son likes to say, a lot. I usually have a good gauge for what he perceives to be a lot versus a little, but anyway. Jesus uses this saying, almost like reflecting a wish on the part of the consumer, on the part of the person in the market, that God would reward the generous, those that give a heaping helping, <laughs> and that he would punish the swindler, those that, that keep back, that hold back. And so, These verses together reinforce the message of the parable of the soils and the different degrees of response to the life-giving word. And so looking at this parable as a whole, the point is that the light of Christ is meant to be revealed and is meant to be responded to in faith. Revealed and responded to in faith. Proclaiming the kingdom is like bringing an oil lamp into a dark room and having it light up every corner. And the lamp represents Jesus, he himself, who is the light of the world. God sent him. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Jesus' words, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God's purpose is not to shroud the light or keep it hidden, but to manifest it to all. And so even this parable should be held in tension with what we read earlier in verses 11 and 12 of this chapter and what is described about outsiders, and to those that do not respond, how the parables conceal. This should be held in tension with that. Hidden things are to be made known. The parallel sayings in verse 22 emphasize that while Jesus was concealed temporarily during his earthly ministry, the resurrection is what marks the decisive turning point. He hints to this actually in Mark's gospel. If you look at like Mark 9, verse 9, in the wake of this amazing scene, the transfiguration on the mountain, Jesus says to his followers, he gives them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. That which is hidden was to be revealed. And the measure then refers to the ways people hear and respond to the light itself. Proverbs 9, 9 says, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. 
So those who are receptive to Jesus' message receive more, become even more fruitful. They, it leads to fruitful participation in the kingdom of God. And those who do not respond, what little they do have is taken away when Jesus comes again. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we are meant to shine the light of Christ wherever God places us. Our faith in him should not be our best kept secret. Nor should the Christian community hide itself away, circle the wagons and and have a minimal impact. No, let us shine forth the glory of God in the midst of surrounding darkness so that the world might know. This is also a call to faithful discipleship. Those who are faithful will be entrusted with greater responsibilities. To those who listen and respond, God will grant more revelation and understanding. But we also need to feel the impact of this passage. Heed the warning that's given here as well, that those who refuse Jesus and his word in this life will lose what little they had when he comes again. The light of Christ is meant to be revealed, and responded to in faith. Let's turn to the second parable, the parable of the growing seeds in verses 26 through 29. He also said this, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. God's kingdom, remember this, God's kingdom does not have geographical boundaries. God's kingdom has to do with his reign and rule begun with the sending of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the out pouring of the Holy Spirit and then awaiting its ultimate fulfillment when Jesus comes again. And so the kingdom can be said to be both already and not yet as it moves forward to its final completion. The kingdom is what forms the unifying theme, as I mentioned, of these, of these four parables and is emphasized here once more. The parable of the growing seeds shares similarities with the parable of the sower, but the focus is on how the sower experiences the results of of the sowing. He is pictured as contributing nothing toward its dynamic growth except the initial sowing and eventual harvesting. And in fact, the way that this is drawn out is in the use of three what we might call almost unnecessary phrases or expressions that emphasize that fact. After sowing, he sleeps and rises day and night. The seed grows, though he does not know how, And third, the ground yields a crop all by itself. The Greek word there is automatos. You might hear what's happening in that word. It could also be translated automatically, automatically. There's a feeling of inevitability as we see the stalk emerge, then the head, then the full kernel in the head, showing that it is ripe. It is ripe to be harvested. And then the sickle is a symbol of the arrival of God's kingdom and the corresponding judgment that accompanies it. And so this simple yet profound parable teaches us that God will accomplish the mysterious growth of his kingdom in his time and in his way. God will accomplish the mysterious growth of his kingdom in his time and in his way. This 
short parable gives us a complete picture of the stages of God's kingdom. Sowing points to its humble beginning. Growing reveals its slow and steady increase in the midst of adversity. And harvesting centers on the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. Similar to the parable of the soils, kingdom fruit grows from good soil that is hospitable to the word. But what is clear is that God's providence is what leads to the harvest, not human striving or strength. After all, it is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, it does not depend on human ingenuity to design it, human effort to achieve it, or human strength to secure it. And what's more, the kingdom of God advances through apparent defeat. It advances paradoxically through the cross, through the suffering and death of our Savior. And so as we live out this parable, we need to remember the innate power of the seed, the generative power of the gospel itself. Let the, lo- let the word loose and see what it does. Once the seed is sown, a process is set in motion that will not be thwarted, though it remains often a mystery to us. God partners with us in a mysterious way. We are called to sow, but we cannot make the seed grow in someone's life, nor can we force or or coerce the growth of the kingdom. These parables highlight the ambiguous nature of the kingdom and should caution us when we have a tendency sometimes to be overly impressed by large organizations or, or big movements, for instance. But could we at times be in danger of repeating the mistake of Babel? seeking to make a name for ourselves. Kingdom growth cannot be manufactured, nor does it fit our expectations. We must be patient when seeds do not produce results on our timetable. In fact, this kind of kingdom growth is more akin to the growth of a child in the womb. It's mind-blowing. I can't help but think about gathered around our our dining room table, mommy would describe to our three-year-old and four-year-old what stage of development our child, our baby was in that week leading up to Silas's birth. Amazing. First of all, each week was compared to the size of a fruit. I kind of liked that. I don't know if you've ever caught those before. We marveled each week at the description of the progress of our baby's development. But the process of spiritual growth is even more incomprehensible. And yet God is in control. A harvest is coming. And we must trust that he is working all things out according to the pleasure of his will. God will accomplish the mysterious growth of his kingdom in his time and in his way. The third parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Starting, starting in verse 30. The, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The mustard seed was Known for its tiny size, it was the smallest seed that was commonly used in this time by farmers, by gardeners alike. But despite its small, insignificant beginning, it grows to a large, beneficial size. Did you catch that? Where the birds can perch in its shade. What a wonderful image. 
This image actually drips with an Old Testament allusion, several Old Testament allusions, but one in particular, Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. This is a prophecy that centers on the reemergence of David's house. And the birds, not only here, but in other passages as well, come to represent the gathering of peoples from all the nations. Gentiles from all the nations that come to find shelter, shade, and a place among God's people. And so it is with the kingdom of God. Verses 33 through 34 then give us a summary of Jesus' intentional use of parables. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. It is clear once more that Mark chooses strategic excerpts from Jesus' many parables to make his points. And this phrase is as much as they could understand is literally as they were able to hear it. This is the 13th appearance of this word here in Mark 4, highlighting once more the importance of genuine hearing versus superficial hearing. Among the crowds, there are those who truly hear the parables. They, are, they come to understand it at a deeper level and come seeking more explanation from Jesus, and that is what we see him do. Jesus explains the parables to them privately. He helps them to hear even more deeply, understand, to receive their teaching. But to those who hear only superficially, they go no further, reminding us yet again of the the variety of different responses to the seed of the gospel. And so I believe this, this parable all comes down to this. While the kingdom begins small, it will someday grow to encompass people from every nation. While the kingdom begins small, it will someday grow to encompass people from every nation. Jesus compares the kingdom of God not to a mustard seed itself, but to what happens to a mustard seed. And the kingdom may appear to have an unassuming, unnoticeable, or unimpressive beginning, but its gradual growth leads to a remarkable expanse that is a blessing to the nations, a blessing to the nations. And so though the kingdom begins in obscurity, it culminates in glory. This parable reminds us to not despise the small things. Praying with our kids before bed, meeting up with a friend to read the word of God together, volunteering with a local nonprofit serving refugee families. Do not despise the small things. The good we do might seem to have minimal impact, but the seed is doing its work. The kingdom is advancing, and the full majesty of God's kingdom will someday be made known. These parables are a deep encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ, especially in places where the Christian population is small, is despised, and is even persecuted. 
we press on with confidence, knowing that God will fulfill his good word. And so if we were to put together these three parables, here is our charge. Let us make the kingdom of God known with the assurance that while it may start small, God will bring about its growth until it encompasses people from every nation. God's kingdom is at work in a way that defies comprehension and quantification often. We, you know, have a tendency to associate the kingdom of God with power, with the fire of the spirit, or with songs like, a mighty fortress is our God. Not with seeds that grow into shrubs. In unseen ways, Jesus does not speak in terms of conquering armies and mighty deeds, but in the humble every day of lighting a lamp, of measuring out goods, of sowing seeds, and of the tiniest of seeds providing shade. While there is no promise for quick success, these parables stress the hiddenness of the kingdom and the confidence that we can have that God is working to produce what he intends. We live in the in-between when the seeds are being sown and yet the harvest is coming. God's purposes will be accomplished and so let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not lose heart and let us not run after that which appears more impressive or follow someone who might seem more promising. These three, I just want to leave us with three final takeaways, kind of looking at these three parables together and more so where the rubber meets the road for us. First, these parables should fill us with confidence and drive us from despair. It is easy to become discouraged when we cannot see what is happening often under the surface. Perceived failures can drive us to hopelessness. Many missionaries talk about a time in their ministry that they view as the darkest chapter or the darkest hour. Faced with disappointment, with setbacks that leave them feeling inadequate or defeated, pastors, ministry leaders too can often have, can share the same account, can identify with this, especially with what we have seen transpire in the broader church over the last few years. I know good and godly pastors that are deciding to, to hang it up at this point, to do, to do something else. For many of us, it is hard to look into what is happening next week, let alone to look forward to eternity. We can become frustrated and impatient as we wait, but God does not waste waiting. God does not waste waiting. These parables fill us with confidence because when we sow the message of the kingdom, God will see to it that he accomplishes his purpose and that the harvest is ultimately his. It belongs to him. The harvest will be brought in. Second, these parables underscore that the success of the seed does not depend on human efforts or ingenuity. Thank God. It does not depend on who it is that shares the message, but ultimately God, the one the message is about. We are called to sow faithfully, not manufacture responses. 
And this doesn't mean, though, that we sit back and do nothing in, be, in between. Take, for example, Paul, who you get his heart, you gain a sense of his heart for the churches that he is instrumental in helping plant, how he agonizes in prayer for them, writes to them, encourages them daily. But the harvest belongs to God and his sovereignty and is not dependent on our state-of-the-art programs. I'm not talking about EBF necessarily. I wouldn't call our program state-of-the-art necessarily, but you catch my drift. It's not dependent on our programs. It is not dependent on our strategic plans. Sometimes all of our busyness and all of our striving simply reveals a lack of dependence on God. And these parables force us to focus on what God is accomplishing in his will and in his way. Third, these parables should cause us to patiently persist in the faith. We live in a time when we expect instant results. How many of you, show of hands, that's okay, how many of you have been impatient with the microwave? Yeah, a few of us, that's right. Sometimes we lose, you know, sense of the fact that of the miracle that is taking place in front of our very eyes in the microwave. And yet, there we are, tapping our toes, waiting for this thing to circle around and around. Or in our case, we have square plates, so it just goes, and then it stops. Design flaw, anyway. We get impatient with something as simple as a microwave. You know, some expect to sow, to, 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 to till the soil, plant the seed, see it grow, harvest the grain all in one conversation or perhaps all in one worship service, for that matter. These parables are a reminder that there is an appointed order. Can we say that? An appointed order to the seed, the growth, and the harvest that cannot be short-circuited. We need to learn to allow the seed to do its work. James 1.21 gives us a magnificent picture of this. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Church, let us make the kingdom of God known with the assurance that while it, might, while it may start small, God will bring about its growth until it encompasses people from every nation. And talk about starting small. Holding our, our newborn son, Silas, reminds me of the miracle that is the incarnation and Jesus coming in the helpless form of a newborn baby. Talk about vulnerable. Talk about starting small. Here is a Galilean peasant, one who described his own homelessness and saying, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. From obscure Nazareth, who lived among the people, who gathered this ragtag bunch of followers, who served them, who poured his very life out and gave his life, as Mark 10 says, as a ransom for many. For the truth is that it is at the lowly tree of the cross, arms stretched wide in full embrace, that people from every tongue and tribe and nation can come to find Shade, protection, and an eternal home. Rest. 
The resurrection is what secures this, and it is his second coming that will bring it to completion. Someday the whole world will see the glory of his light. Every earthly kingdom will be surpassed by Christ's power, glory, and majesty. That which is hidden will be revealed in full. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let us, O church, let us make the kingdom of God known with the assurance, the full assurance, that while it may start small, God will bring about its growth, the mysterious growth in his time and in his ways until it encompasses people from every tongue and tribe and nation. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these three intertwined parables, these simple yet profound images that you use to press your truth down deeply. We pray that you would press it down deeper still, that you would use the truth of your word to reveal to us what these parables mean, how you would call us to live them out, and help us, O Lord, to not despise the small things. Help us to boldly sow your gospel seed, leaving the results in your hand, Lord. We thank you that the harvest is ultimately yours. Lord, thank you for your great gospel the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. Help us to reveal it. Help us to respond to it in faith. And we look forward to that day when you will reap an abundant harvest. Lord, have mercy. We love you. We thank you for the worldwide expansion of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.